As Charles said, my name is Jeremiah Link. I was on staff this summer, mostly at Quakertown, and for you baseball fans, I was kind of like a utility guy. If you're not a baseball fan, what that means is, you know, if you want me to play second base today, I'll play second base today. You want me to be catcher today? Sure. You want me to be pitcher? I don't know about that, but I'll, I'll think about it, right? And so I did a bunch of different things. Working in Quakertown meant that I worked with Carlos, who is great at, uh, he might have called them uh, giving people growth opportunities. Uh, I might have said putting me in uncomfortable places. Um, you know, it's just what he does, and he's great at it. There you go, Carlos. And so the kids in the room might remember me from Kid Fest. I was the beard. So I'm back. And if you want, you can still call me the beard. In fact, some people at Quaker Town do. But my name is Jeremiah. I do have a name. It's not the beard. Uh, I don't have a crossover like the real beard, if anyone knows what I'm talking about. Anyway, I did that. My wife and I also hosted the college-aged home group. And so some of you in college came to our home this summer, which was a great time. And uh, in Quakertown, if you're ever looking for something in the office area, you could probably ask me because I organized it. In fact, the way my mind works, I could probably tell you not only where it is, but how many there are because I love my spreadsheets. I'm currently a student at Missio Seminary, formerly biblical, and I'll be done in May, which means I'll have the degree, right? It's exciting. Which means I'll have the degree that says I can be a pastor. What does that look like? Oh, yeah, there we go. Woo. What does that look like for me? I don't know if you guys know, but... The, the plans of God are oftentimes unclear, but I will have the degree, and it's been a great journey. Uh, I'm married, actually, for 11 years yesterday. And I have, right? Come on now. And I have three kids, um, Surrey, Knox, and Sailor, seven, four, and two. So Christmas was a lot of fun this year. They don't sleep past 5.30 most days, so, you know... Christmas was no different. Actually, they slept till 6.30. It was cool. And my wife is great. She gets up with him. She's great, guys. But anyway, that's, those, those things are all true of me, right? But this morning, if I may, I actually want to speak through the lens of what I do for a living. Uh, I'm a teacher, as Charles mentioned. I'm actually a seventh grade math teacher. You're welcome, society. <laughs> because let's be real. It is probably the worst year of everyone's life who's associated with seventh graders. Not just the kid, but parents. Come on now. That's when it got real tough. That's when they really started having feelings, right? You can say it in your heads. You don't have to nod. Right? Seventh grade. And not only is seventh grade the year, but I'm teaching the people probably their favorite subject, right? Let's be honest. You know, I don't really hear this happen very often, where engineers walk up to somebody like, hey, what do you do? I'm an engineer. Well, I hate engineering. But do you know what they do for math teachers? What do you do? I teach math. I hated math. Seriously? Just play fair. Just say it to the engineer, too. Make me feel better about myself. I know you hated math. It's okay. At uh, Back to School Night, one of the things that I um, will tell parents is that math is very similar to a marriage. It's very similar to a marriage. Probably around year three, maybe year five, maybe year seven if you're doing really well. 
You've gotten to the point in the marriage where you've pretty much learned all the good stuff. And the only stuff that's left to learn is the not-so-good stuff. And you have to make a decision, right? You have to say, are we going to persevere for the sake of this, right? Because all I got left to learn is the not-so-good stuff. I don't know if I signed up for this. And marriages thrive when you decide to persevere. Math is the same way. Probably around maybe fifth grade, but probably more likely sixth or seventh grade, math becomes different than it was. It ain't two plus two anymore. And so some of the kids are like, oh man, I love math, I'm so good at it. They get to seventh grade and they're like, I'm terrible at math, what happened? And they're having this crisis of life. Parents, maybe you know what I'm talking about. Where it's just like, oh my goodness, this is, and this is what I would encourage you. Yeah, the game changed a little bit. Are you going to fight the good fight and dig in for real understanding? Or are you going to throw in a towel? It's worth fighting the good fight. And I encourage parents to back to school night, fight with your kids for that math. I promise you're teaching them something not just about math, but about marriage. I'm going to leave that right here for you. Um, because the kids' emotions are ramped up in seventh grade, in class, they might begin to ask questions. And it might go something like this. They might raise their hand. But chances are, if they're in a bad enough mood, they won't raise their hand. Thank you, kids. And they'll say, oh. Mr. Link, why do we, when will we ever use this? All right, guys, let's, okay, let's answer this question. Let's pause what we're doing today and talk about this. And uh, I will say, well, you may never use this. And the kids at that point, right, because their seventh graders are all emotional, I mean, they start flipping tables like Jesus in the temple. They're like, what? What do you mean, Mr. Link? Then why are we doing this? What? And I'll say, that's a really good question. You're doing this because you want your choice at the end of high school to be college, community college, building, trade, whatever, not McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, or Taco Bell. <laughs> because guess what? There's no choice. Taco Bell. <laughs> That's why we're doing this. And then they'll say something like, oh, I hate math. I'm never going to choose to do something with math. And I'll respond, yeah, I'm really questioning that myself today. <laughs> like, what, Mr. Link, you don't like math? And I'll be like, yeah. Like, then why do you teach math? And then I'll tell them, it's about what math can uncover. It's about what math can show us about the world around us. That's why I teach math. And the reality is, that's about as far as I can go in a public school setting. But today, I can go further, and I'm excited to do that. Um, because hopefully, you'll, hopefully the haters in the room, the math haters, you're already sweating in your seats because I started talking about the word. Hopefully, I'll convert some of you haters uh, while, we, while we read this story. So, we're going to take a look today at the story um, from John chapter 4, verses 4 through 26. Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, 
And I'm a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? And as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Now, guys, there's a lot. There's a lot in that story, right? So we're going to um, focus in on something that really has been sticking out to me lately. Um, and it comes towards the beginning of the story. It's the, the point when Jesus asks the woman for a drink. So if we could pull that up, here we go. It says, you know, she came to the water and Jesus said to her, well, you give me a drink. Um, which like, okay, give me a drink. That seems pretty insignificant, I guess, just a question. And she says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Which upon first read, I'm kind of like, um, the way he just did. Like, what did you want him to say? Right? But then, okay, but we need more context, right? Because clearly this wasn't strange to him. Uh, and the parentheses give us that. They say that Jews do not associate with Samaritans. But in the translation that I was reading, the NIV, there's a note there. And the note actually, I think, gives us a much clearer picture of why that question was strange. It says, Jews do not use dishes Samaritans have used, which I think is much more intense than just they don't associate with Samaritans. You cannot be around somebody, but to say that you won't even use the dishes that somebody used, that's intense. I was trying to think of a comparison we might feel right now, um, and I thought, oh, you know what? It's, um, 
It's probably mid-flu season, right? And so if I'm hanging out with somebody and we go to Starbucks, we grab some coffee, and I'm like, hey, you want to try my drink? They look at me and like, no, bro, it's flu season. I value my health and my life. I don't want to try your drink. If I want to try it, I can go buy it. I'm not, I'm not trying to catch the flu. That is what I think we're seeing here between Jews and Samaritans. But I think it's actually a step further. See, the Samaritans had for generations been doing things differently than the Jews. And I think it had become to a point where it wasn't just that you had the risk of becoming sick by associating with Samaritans, right? There wasn't a risk factor. I think it was more that the Samaritans were the flu, that it was a guarantee factor, that you don't hang out with Samaritans because you will get sick. They cause it. They didn't just catch it. They cause it. I think that's the dynamic. And so for Jesus to ask this Samaritan woman for a drink at the well is a radical move. Do you know what he's doing? He's giving this woman a gift. He's giving her the gift of her dignity. He's saying, you aren't the flu. You aren't a sickness. You're a person. Can I have a drink? It's a big deal. In fact, I think it's something that we still to this day struggle with. I see it every day in my classroom. So don't sweat too much, but I'm going to put some math on the screen if we could. Real quick. Give you a chance to calm down. See, my students have a lot of trouble with this equation, the idea that two-thirds equals four-sixths. Some of you are like, nah, man, I know they're equal. But some of you are like, okay, I get what you mean, they're equal, but there's like part of you that's like, but what is he really asking, right? And so inevitably, I'll have students who are like, but Mr. Link, I don't think they're equal. And I'll say, that's a really, yeah, what do you, why not? And they'll look at me and say, well, because they don't look the same. And I'll say, thank you. You're exactly right. They don't look the same, which is why you want to say that they're not equal, right? That makes sense. But let me tell you something. In math, equality is not about appearance. It's about value. Of course they don't look the same, but they do have the same value. Hey, Pennsylvania, you ain't got to add variables to this. We don't understand equality. You don't have to PSSA like crazy. Start teaching about this. We don't understand it because you know what? They look different. Do you know what Jesus is saying to this woman through his question? You may look different, but I can see your value. Just like you are. He's not saying, take this cup put some water in it because I know it's clean. He's not saying, okay, I'll use your cup, but clean your cup. He's not saying, hey, swim through bleach and become a Jew so that this is cool, so the Samaritan Jew thing ain't a problem. That's not what he's saying. As you are, who you are, at this well, I see your value even though we might not look the same. That's a big deal. 
And that's only one thing that I think is happening here. If we could go back to that verse. See, when we think of the question, we think, okay, you know, asking for a drink. But he says, will you give me a drink? Do you know what Jesus is doing here? He's not only valuing her, he's inviting her to join in his rebellion against society. See, the feeling goes both ways. Yeah, he's valuing her by asking the question, but it's much different to ask the question than it is to take the step and join into the rebellion. But that's what Jesus is saying. Will you give me a drink? Will you join me? Now, the reality is in this story, we don't know if he actually got the water. But the conversation progresses in what I hope we saw is like a pretty strange way. Um, this woman, like, for having not met Jesus, as, as we understand, like, you really didn't think some of these things that he said were as creepy as I thought they were. Creepy's not the word, but you know what I mean. For instance, it, it becomes like a, a super spiritual thing. He's like, at one point, right, he tells her, um, yeah, go get, your, go get your husband and come back. First of all, why? Second of all, how do you know I'm married, right? And then he proceeds to be like, yeah, you're right. I know all about you. And instead of her being like, whoa, bro, this is the first time we met. Like, I need to go. Like, I'm done. She comes back at him. And he's like, oh, you must be a prophet. Really? Because that's not the response I would have given. You know, somebody tells me all about my life. I'd be like, where, where did you go to find that? But in her case, she thought, hey, you must be a prophet. And then she goes back to the Samaritan Jew issue. She says, the Samaritans say it's going to happen here. The Jews say it's going to happen here. Right? That's, this is where worship or um, celebration of God or honoring of God will happen. Um, but then we see Jesus respond in this way. Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. It's from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. Jesus looks at her and says, Hey, hey, it's not about where. It's about a who. See, the Pharisees would have said, Samaritans, your worship doesn't count because you don't do it here in Jerusalem. And that's what she's asking about. And Jesus is saying, hey, guess what? It's not about either of those places because you won't do it in those places. It's about a who. It's about the spirit being involved and you showing up in truth for who you are. It's about something internal, not external. And if we read later in the scriptures, we will see Jesus calling the Pharisees out for that. That is, for being externally driven. What do you look like? How holy or how good do you look? And Jesus is saying, that's not where worship or celebration or honor comes from. It's internal. It's a who. It's not a where. So... This is what I need us to understand this morning. The who that we trust in will give us direction.
And here's where I see it. If we go back to the question that the woman at the well um, asked, or give me the drink. Back one more there. There we go. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Will you give me a drink? It's a call to follow. It's a call to direction. Will you join me in this rebellion? See, the person that we trust in this instance will give us a direction. That's why the who in this case matters. But let's be honest. We want to kind of do it on our own. Right? We, we want to follow these steps so that we can become good. And here's how I know that happens, because I see it all the time in my classroom. So we can bring up that negative five here. Okay. So you see the double negative, right? You see the negative on the outside of the parentheses, negative on the inside. When I'm teaching about negatives, um, some of you might remember the two negatives make a positive, and you just remember that because, I don't know, good for you, that's impressive. Not everyone works that way. I have a lot of students that don't think that way. They need to know where, where this is going. They need some sort of comparison. So this is why I tell them. The negative inside the five is like owing money. So if I have $2 and I owe someone $5, the situation is that I still owe them $3. You just did integers. You didn't even know it because everyone gets money for whatever reason. My kids can't do integers by themselves, but if I talk about money, they're good. <laughs> All right. But then I get to this place, and this is how I explain the double negative. I say the first negative on the outside is taking away. The second negative is like your debt. So a double negative means that you're taking away the debt. <laughs> I didn't even say Jesus. Did y'all see what I did there? I don't even have to say it. This is the reality. Some of us, and I'm guilty of it because it happened this year, I think. When we think about taking away debt, we tend to think we're back at zero, right? Because the debt's gone. But that's not what that equals. It equals a five. And when I was doing number lines, this is what I realized. Pull up that number line. Okay, so here we go. Left side, right side. The rights are positive. The lefts are negative because you left what was right. Okay, there we go. See, when you are at a negative five, and your debt is taken away, you don't stay at a negative five. You come all the way over here. It's an actual position change. And it's not just a position change. The negative goes that way. The positives go this way. It's a direction change. So Jesus, in coming to us at the negative five, absolutely takes away our debt, definitely. But that's not all he does. He brings us into a new position that we might move in the right direction. That is what Jesus is offering. And so when my students come up to me, if you go back to the negative five from before, they might say that the answer to that problem is negative five. And they come up, Mr. Link, I lost points on this. Yes, because the answer is positive five. All middle schoolers, every time. Maybe a teeth suck. Like, Mr. Link, it's just a negative sign. 
And I look at them and I say, yes. Which means that's a different position. Do you understand how far away you are from the right answer? What you can see is the value. What you don't see is the direction. What the Pharisees could see was that the law was meant for something good. The problem was that the Pharisees, that is the Jews, would use the law in the wrong direction. They weren't honoring God by forcing people to worship in this place because they had forgotten that it's not about a where, it's about a who. There's a who that takes away our debt. There is a who that shows up to do that. Now, we didn't read this in the story, but later in the story, the woman leaves the jar. She doesn't take any water with her. Like, Bro, why did you leave that out? I don't know. My bad. So I told you about it. But she, she left without the jar. She came for the water that she needed, but then left without water. Because I think she got the water that she, meet, that she needed because she met a person there who could change her direction. Who didn't say, hey, get clean before you show up. No, come on. I'll show you, I'll show you the direction. So why do I teach math? Well, I'm good at it. But also, I teach, if we can pull it up, because who we trust will drive how and why we do whatever we do, wherever we are. Do you know what I want to tell my students? I teach math because of the God that I believe in, and that's the reason. I don't care about math. If your father isn't in your life and you want to talk about things that you need a father for and you need me to be that person right then, okay. I don't care about math. That's not why I teach math. It's because the person that I trusted, the who that I trusted has brought me here. Because the reality, brothers and sisters, is that these kids that I go to teach might never see a physical Jesus, but they will see a physical me. And I've been changed by the life and sacrifice of a physical Jesus. I've met someone who can change my direction. I don't need to go fix these kids it's the, it's the system that's broken. I'm going to go be with them in the system. And hopefully, they will see that direction change because they'll meet that person of Jesus. So, what does that mean for us? Well, I think something that it means first is that we need to consider if we're ready to, to trust in Jesus. Straight up. You need to consider that. Because who we trust will drive how and why we do whatever we do, wherever it is. It won't matter where it is. It's the who. And Jesus is the one that changes direction. We need to decide if we trust that. And the reality is, is that 
Some of us in this room might have done that for a long time, right? So for years, and you're like, bro, I believe it. You didn't tell me anything new today, I believe it. <laughs> That's fine. That's great. There might be some of us who really are still like, nah, man, I can't step with you. I, I still don't really believe what you're talking about. That's fine too. Whatever your situation, I think it's worth considering. And I think there's three things that we can all find a lot of life from if we were to make these choices in the next year. So those three things are, I think we should choose to be present. Remember, Jesus showed up at the well. And he spoke to the Samaritan woman. He chose to be present in a real way. He chose to give the gift of dignity. You matter and are worth me being here. Because I give you value, Jesus, right? He gives, a, but, but you matter. I think we can also make a choice to be curious. My wife and I were at a marriage intensive. One of the things they said that could really help our marriage was the idea that we should begin to choose curiosity over judgment. And if you're married, that's about the truest thing anyone's ever said to you. Curiosity over judgment. Not, you always do that. Can you tell me why you did that? It's a much different question. I think we can do that in all cases. I think we can choose to be curious. And I think we can choose to be humble. Because guys, let's be real. You don't have it all together. When I was a kid, I thought my dad knew everything, right? Then probably about middle school, you know, probably about seventh grade, I thought to myself, he doesn't know anything. Then I've grown up, and you know what I realized? Neither of us knows anything. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. We need to be humble. Hopefully we'll find someone who can show us direction and give us direction. I think that's what Jesus does. But we need to be humble. So it doesn't matter if you're wondering or if you've known this for a long time. I think life can come from this. Are you looking for purpose? Well, let me introduce you to the man who knows everything I ever did and everyone I ever hurt. He didn't just pay my debt. He uses my life for his purpose and for his celebration for his glory. He can do it for you too. Question is, would you like to meet him? God, we thank you so much that at Christmas time we can celebrate the arrival of you, that you have come into this world to be with us, to walk with us, and to show us not only that we have value because you've given it to us, not only that you give us our dignity, but Lord, that you give us direction. I pray that you would be moving in the hearts of everyone here. And I pray, Lord, that they would make the choice to, to get to know you better and that they would find someone here who can help with that. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.